We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Critter Shed. I've just realized today that it's just over a year since the first lockdown started with the COVID pandemic and whatnot. So we're sort of reluctantly celebrating a year of recording remotely. And normally for this episode, myself and Kali would be on a lovely beach somewhere with our extra special guest because today we are talking about wonderful creatures of the sea, misunderstood creatures of the sea, sharks. But unfortunately, we are not on a beach. So why don't I just go ahead and throw in a few ocean sounds to get us in the mood for listening to stories about these amazing creatures. There we go. That is so relaxing. And I think it's fair to say that the wonderful guest that we're speaking to today is mad about sharks. I'm in my living room right now. And if you look around, there's a poster of sharks in front of me. Then there's an art piece of sharks in front of me. Then there's a puppet that's a shark. (laughs) (laughs) There's art behind me like some some prints behind me that are sharks um there's a giant teddy on my sofa that's a shark um so yeah it's a real i'm a collector my name is jenny i am a phd researcher at trinity college dublin uh, where i study sharks specifically blue sharks in ireland They're the most abundant shark species in the world. And they're these like really cute, beautiful blue colored sharks. And they've got these cute snouts that are like long and sleek. And when you see photos of them, you can see them peeking up to the camera um, and they are stunning. And they they specialize in, in really far out at sea traveling around the, the, the ocean. They, do, they cover some distance, don't they? Yeah, so as well as being the most abundant shark species, I should say they're the ocean shark species. So you get different types of sharks. You get those that live on the coast. You get those that live in the middle of the ocean. You get those that live on reefs. Um, blue sharks are a species who live out in the middle of the ocean most of their lives, and they carry out these huge migrations around the oceans and so they come into Irish waters around the end of May and April and they stay here until about October, November where they start leaving again and they carry out migrations that are like thousands of miles. They go down to Portugal, the Azores and sometimes they cross the entire Atlantic basin. 
Yeah, really wide ranging species. They're also found in almost every ocean in the world. Wow. Wow. Can I ask Jenny, um, what is it about sharks? Why sharks? Why are you studying sharks? Yeah. um, Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a classic tale of child me growing up near the ocean and bent over rock pools my entire summers to look for every creature that lived in in those rock pools. So... I think at this point, Jenny, I feel like I should almost start with a really, really basic question. Like, what is a shark? What makes it different to other fish? Yeah, that's a great question. So sharks are part of a family called chondrichthians. Um, and within that family, they form a group called elasmobranchs with uh, skates and rays. And the characteristics of those groups are that their entire skeleton is made of cartilage. They don't have any bones in their body. It's all cartilage. So for anyone who doesn't know what cartilage is, if you touch the tip of your nose or the arch of your ear, those are flexible. Which we're all doing now. The three of us are doing that right now because we can't help ourselves. Yeah, we're all doing it. <laughs> um, so you can bend, you can bend your ear, um, but you wouldn't be able to rip it off (laughs) unless you're Mike Tyson (laughs) it's flexible and it's hard and that's cartilage so we have cartilage between our bones but sharks entire skeletons are made of cartilage which make it them their skeleton is actually quite light the other um, characteristics of sharks are their fins so one of the best ways to recognize sharks are that that shape and those fins coming out. So the pectoral fins, the dorsal fins, and the caudal fin, which is their tail. But really, that basic skeleton, cartilaginous skeleton, is the, the key element of their family. And their teeth, but more so than their teeth, their skin So in normal fish, the salmon you get in the shop or the cod you get in a shop, they're going to be covered in scales. Sharks, instead of scales, have something called dermal denticles. So they are tiny microscopic teeth that cover their entire body and they're all facing the same way towards the back of the body. And so basically what that means is that sharks can really slice through the water really effectively it's one of the things that make them really fast swimmers and great hunters and i'll put a caveat to that it's obviously dependent on their lifestyle so sharks who live out in the middle of the ocean will have that skin covered in teeth but sharks who spend most of their time on coral reefs or under rocks like the nurse shark Instead of having skin that slices through the water, they need really tough skin that's going to be resistant to injuries from rubbing up against rocks, for example. So instead of teeth, it almost looks like sand when you look at it under the microscope. Uh, it's really pretty. I love the, the skin pattern of uh, nurse sharks. And another interesting fact about their skin is that females have thicker skin than males. When um, sharks mate, the male will bite down onto females, so onto their fins and along their body. They will bite down. So for females, it's a tough tough world for a female shark out there because it's actually a really violent event. So they have to have that thicker skin to be able to resist serious injuries. And you can recognize female sharks after they've had a copulation event because they will be covered 
in scars. What is it with males abusing females during sex? I mean, ducks have a hard time, but cats have a hard time, but because male cats or males have a spikes in their penises which really hurts the females I mean come on evolution hello well well, the spiders make up for it the spiders make up for it they, they just spiders. fuck up male spiders all the time every chance they get they just murder them so it's all good <laughs> funny you should mention cats penises being covered in spines because not only is it brutal for a female to be uh, bitten down on but you can tell the difference between a male and a female shark easily because males um, have claspers so they're two appendages between their um their the fins the small fins they have at the bottom of their body and that's their penises And with maturity, they become harder. They sort of calcify. But when they insert it into the female, they actually turn inside out. They flip them inside out and there are spikes there. Um, So just like cats, they have these spikes that stop them from slipping out, basically. I don't. I don't even know what to say to that. I'm sure Kali has something to say to that. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not touching that. That's just. That's just wrong. That's <laughs> so wrong. God Almighty. <laughs> I have no defense for male sharks. I tell you one thing though. I, I always thought it was going to be some dentist bill if you were a shark going, but now that I know their entire skin is covered in teeth. You'd be seriously forking out for a whitening job. <laughs> As researchers, when we work with them. Um, we often get what we call shark burn. Yeah. Um, so it, it, their skin, you can stroke it one way and it wouldn't hurt you at all. But if you rub it the wrong way, <laughs> no pun intended, then you get these tiny little scratches all the way up your arm and it's kind of like a rash. And it really it really burns, especially if you put it underwater afterwards. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had shark burn from dogfish and, and uh, taupe from fishing. And it is, it's like getting sandpaper and really born. It's horrendous and it goes on forever. So I can only imagine what it's like if you get a whack off a, a white shark or something, something slightly more significant. That would be unbelievable. I was just slapped in the face by a tiger shark tail once. And um, luckily it didn't cause me shark burn, but um, it's not the most pleasant. It still feels pretty rough when it goes That's off. That's a hell of an anecdote to have though still. I got slapped in the face by a tiger shark. That's unbelievable. Not many people are going to be able to say that. Exactly. Under scientific permission, of course. Of course, of course. I suppose it'd be strange to start. Uh, we have to, you know, touch on the elephant in the room, which would be Jaws. Um, uh, most people's introductions to shark and probably did a lot of damage for the shark's reputations over the years. But uh, the people who made that actually, did, it, it made them more conscious of the damage they'd done. And, and they went hell for leather into environmentalism and protecting sharks after yeah, that. Yeah, so that- Peter Benchley is the writer of Jaws. And he never foresaw or, or like predicted that what happened with the, the movie after the movie would happen. And he was actually really upset about it um, because he knew that sharks weren't the evil that the, the, the movie and the book had depicted them to be. 
And so he actually became quite a staunch conservationist of sharks. And he set out to almost dismantle his work with like a, a new, his new goal towards conservation. But the, the movie itself, yes, it has caused a lot of damage to the reputation of sharks. You know, people who grew up with it, but even people now who watch it now still become really afraid of sharks because of it. However, it also inspired an entire generation of marine biologists. Yeah, Hooper. <laughs> yeah, it had this sort of negative, but also positive effect. Yeah. Because you talk to marine biologists who grew up with Jaws now, and they will actually cite it as their inspiration for becoming a marine biologist. That inspires me to ask, in, in terms of myth busting when it comes to sharks, let's just get rid of the first one. Are sharks cold-blooded killers who just wake up in the morning and just want to chomp down on human flesh and just kill, kill, kill? Absolutely not. No. Um, <laughs> no. They, they are not interested in humans. They aren't attracted to the smell of blood of humans. There's like a difference in the amino acids that are in our blood versus the blood of their prey. So they're not actually attracted to our blood. That's new. I didn't know that. So... What happens when there are incidents with sharks is usually that sharks have highly developed senses. So they don't just rely on their sense of smell. They rely on a whole heap of senses that guide them towards their prey in their hunting. And if someone is swimming in water that is murky or maybe there's other preys around like fish or like seals, then the shark will go to where the noise sounds like someone like a prey that might be weaker than the rest of them um so humans when they're in the water and they're swimming around in the water actually sound really clumsy to an ocean predator so they'll think Mm. that it's a fish thrashing about or it's a seal thrashing about and so that's an easy prey for them um and usually what happens is that the shark will if it's murky water they can't see so And they don't have hands to feel around. So the only thing they can do is bite. So they'll bite and it's called an exploratory bite. Um, It just so (laughs) happens that for humans, often that can be fatal or really damaging. You know, you can get really bad injuries from it. It's like me biting into a a chocolate from the milk tray thing to see if I like it. It's an exploratory bite. (laughs) Exactly. So it's not their intention. They're not setting out to kill humans. It's just uh, a case of mistaken identity. And you have more chance of being killed by cows than being killed by. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a true statistic. That's, a, that's crazy, isn't it, when you think about it? Yeah. And the press, the press, like I know there was a recent case in, in New Zealand. Again, I think it was a surfer, mistaken identity kind of, as you were saying. But, you know, the press it gets, it goes all around the world, everywhere. And yet, you know... Giuseppe in it- in Italy, who gets squashed by his, you know, <laughs> by his milker, it just doesn't make the news. You know what I mean? It's it's very it's very. Um... The media have a lot to account for when it comes mm. to the way they report these stories. Yeah. Um. You know, especially some tabloids yeah. that shall not be named, but the titles are always shark attack. You know, shark infested waters, and they're, yeah. they're not shark infested waters. There's sharks in the ocean because that's where they live. That's where they live. Yeah, exactly. If we go into that that habitat and that environment, 
then we're walking into their home. You know, if someone strolled into your home that you didn't know, maybe you'd have a bit of a reaction being like, who are you and what are you doing here? You know? Yeah. Especially if the person walking into your home is like, a, it looks like a chocolate egg. <laughs> and you and you wanted to have an exploratory bite. <laughs> So we're always fascinated by the uh, romantic side of uh, <laughs> of wildlife on the crater shed. So what's the story with shark reproduction? Some of them lay eggs, some of them are live bearers. Yeah, there are actually, I'm going to go with three and a half type of reproductions in sharks. Um, there's the sharks that lay eggs. So they tend to be sharks who live on rocky reefs or coral reefs or in kelp forests especially. They will lay egg cases, so their eggs look a little bit like seaweed. So if you're ever walking along on the beach, you'll find that it's sometimes you can come across in the strand line where the seaweed washes up. You can come across these egg cases, especially here in Ireland. We have multiple species of sharks and rays that lay eggs. And you can go and do an egg case hunt and look for the egg cases in the strand line. And then you can identify what species they're from because each egg case is unique to the species. They lay these eggs in the seaweed because it's the perfect camouflage. They look exactly like seaweed, so it's protecting them from predators. The other type of reproduction is giving birth to live young, just like us. They grow up in their mother's bellies and then the mother gives birth. And it varies in a huge number of shark species. Gestation, so so the amount of time the baby develops, is over a year. And really interestingly, the litter, we call them pups. So the, the, the shark babies are pups. And the litters of pups can actually be from different fathers. Wow. So female will copulate with the male multiple times with multiple males. And she can store that sperm until she's ready to have a baby. Wow. That litter of pups can be, there's a varying number. In blue sharks, my study species, blue sharks can give birth to live young and they can lay between four and 140 pups. Um, so it, the number varies a lot. Wow. So the, the sharks that give birth to live young tend to, tend to be species, large species who are living out in the ocean for a lot of their lives. So there's nowhere for the pup to go and hide when it comes out the egg case. There's nowhere to hide the egg case. So they kind of have to let them grow enough in their belly so that they're ready to face the big blue. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, but that's not it. That's not the only types of uh, reproduction. There's a third one, which is a mix of the two. So the mother will keep the babies in her belly, but instead of being attached to the placenta through an umbilical cord, they're attached to yolk sacs within her belly. So it's like a, an open egg in her belly. And that's called ovoviviparity. Like our Irish lizards, they do the same thing. Exactly. 
And then there's a fourth reproduction type in Sharp. Wow. This one, it was a bit of a, um, a mind-blowing moment when we realized that some sharks could do this. Some sharks are capable of asexual reproduction. Wow. So they are cloning themselves. They're creating copies of themselves. It was um, discovered the first time, I think, in an aquarium where they had zebra shark. And at first it was in a tank where it was, there was a female and a male in the same tank for a long time and they never copulated, they never had babies. And then the male died. And I think it was three years later or something like that, the aquarium keepers came back one morning and there were three sharks in the tank. <laughs> Baby sharks had appeared and they were baffled and they did some genetic analyses and they realized that these two pups had no father and they both came from the mother. That's incredible. I believe they're not exact replicas. So like there's a certain amount of genetic reshuffling that happens. Um, But yeah, asexual reproduction, parthenogenesis. That's fantastic. Oh, sharks are turning out to be just the coolest creatures. I mean, come on, guys. (laughs) Exactly. You know what we call the uh, egg casings when you find them on the Irish beach? Mermaid's purses. Is that Irish or is that uh, uh, an international thing? That is international. Uh, yeah. we, call them like, we, we used to call them like that in the UK as well. Uh, and when you find those egg cases, what's really good is they dry out and they shrivel up a bit. But you can re-soak them and they'll go back to their former glory. And you can then identify the species from that. And if you record them, if you take photos and record them, you can send them in to charities who collect the data. And that provides a lot of information about the state of populations of these shark species. In the UK, you have the Shark Trust that collects this information. It's called the Great Ed Case Hunt. In Ireland, Marine Dimensions collect that information. So they're a charity that's based down in Bray. And you can just go onto their website and there's a form you fill out, you add your photos and you send it in. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's great, that is. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Ufi X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, so, Shax, uh, this is a brilliant question for you. I wanted to ask. I wanted to know, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a geek for the superhero powers. And, you know, if I was to be bitten by a radioactive shark, what powers would I get? <laughs> What's their, their special abilities for hunting and stuff? Like you hear all these rumors about they can smell a drop of blood in a swimming pool, all this kind of stuff. So uh, set us straight there. Yeah, um, that's an excellent question. First of all, let me start off by saying they cannot smell a drop of blood in a swimming pool. Uh, It's a myth. However, sharks have all the same senses as us. People don't realize that sharks have a really good uh, eyesight because they need to see in low light. A lot of their time is spent um, hunting at dawn or dusk, so they need to be able to see well. So they have great vision in low light. And really interestingly about their eyes is Um, they can dilate their irises the same way that we do. So they adapt to the level of light there is in the water. So sometimes you you hear people talk about how they saw these black eyes coming towards them. That's probably because their pupils were completely dilated, nothing to do with them being dark and evil. And their sense of smell um, is actually 10,000 times better than humans. If you stood at one end of a football pitch and your grandmother stood at the other end of that football pitch and she was holding a really nice warm pie that had just come out of the oven, you'd be that far away that you still wouldn't be able to smell it. But sharks would, they would smell that and they would beeline for it. They would be able to trace that smell as it comes through the current, they can zigzag their way and pinpoint exactly where that smell is coming from especially hammerhead sharks. Hammerhead sharks are amazing at this because they have their nostrils on either side of that big hammer. If you watch videos of hammerhead sharks, you'll see them zigzag a lot. And that's because they can pinpoint which nostril the smell is stronger in. So as it gets stronger in the right one, they'll turn right. And as it gets stronger in the left one, they'll turn left until they can really narrow down on their prey. So they follow this S-shaped pattern. Talking about sharks' senses that we don't have, there are two especially. One is the lateral line. Um, So it's this line of pores all along the length of their body. So it will go from the tip of their snout all the way to their tail. And they can detect vibrations. So remember how I was telling you that if sharks hear something thrashing about in the water, they'll think it's an injured fish. But actually, it's not necessarily the sound of it that will attract them. It's the vibrations that that fish is creating in the water. So a panicked fish, a fish that's injured, it's going to create lots of vibrations. And the lateral line on the shark can help them detect that vibration. So they can, again, pinpoint where their prey is. And the last sense um, that I will tell you about is 
Um, if you've ever looked at the snout of a shark, and as I was saying earlier with blue sharks, if you go off and look at photos of blue sharks and they're like sniffing up to the camera, if you look at their snout, it's covered in black dots. And those dots, again, are pores that are filled with gel. And that gel can help them detect electrical fields in the ocean. So people might be like, but why would you want to detect electrical fields? It's the ocean. Because all living beings create electrical fields with the movement of their muscles. In fact, your heart, when it beats, creates little electrical charges. So sharks, again, this sense is called ampullae of Lorenzini. Those little pores are called ampullae of Lorenzini. And they can help them detect electrical fields and, again, pinpoint where a prey is, even if it's hidden under the sand. So sharks have this amazing superpower, and this is probably the one you would get if you were bitten by a radioactive shark. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, we'd make, you'd have to make sure it was a small radioactive shark. Thing. Exactly. I'd be the most powerful shark-powered man in the graveyard. <laughs> So Jenny, there's a lot of shark myths out there. You know, we talked about the drop of blood in the swimming pool. What about other stuff like, you know, sharks have to continue swimming to, in order to live? And Yeah, that's what I always heard, that if they stop swimming, they'll die. True or not true? Um, partly true. So it's dependent on the species. And again, a lot of these adaptations are generally dependent on what type of habitat they live in and what their lifestyle is. Um, so that way of having to keep swimming to be able to breathe is called ram ventilation. And it's where by swimming, they are pushing water into their mouth and through their gills and they have no other way to do it. So they need that water to come over their gills. And so sharks who live in the middle of the ocean, there's no seafloor for them to rest on, will tend to need to do that. So blue sharks, mako sharks, great white sharks, whale sharks, they all need to keep swimming to be able to, to breathe. But some sharks spend a lot of their time on rocky reefs, on coral reefs. So I've mentioned a few already. You've got the, the nurse shark, for example, or in the ones that we get off the coast here, um, you have the dogfish, the cat shark, lesser spotted or greater spotted cat shark. They spend a lot of their time resting on the seafloor. And during that time, they are breathing and they do this movement with their mouth. If you look at them, you'll see them, their mouth sort of opening and closing. That's called buccal pumping. And it's what allows them to suck in the water to, into their mouth. And then by when they close their mouth, it pushes it over the gills. So not all sharks have to keep swimming in order to breathe. And what are they like when they sleep? They don't. Um, sharks will switch off half of their brain to rest it, I believe. That's not my area of expertise, but I believe that's what they do. They, they never actually sleep, but they'll switch off part of their brain in order to let it rest. That is cool. The other thing that we always sort of uh, assume about sharks is that they're all these massive stealthy predators who just go for live fish or seals or whatever. But does every shark species hunt in that way? 
Like I'm thinking about the big guys, you know, like the basking sharks. They're quite different, aren't they? Yeah, sharks have many different ways of feeding. People often think of whale sharks and basking sharks as being vegetarian sharks because they eat plankton. So these two species are filter feeding for the basking shark and suction feeding for the whale sharks. Whale sharks will actually suck the water into their mouth, filter out the plankton. So for those who don't know, plankton are these tiny microscopic animals and plants that grow in the oceans. In summer off the coast of Ireland, the water becomes quite murky. Uh, and if you took a sample of that water and you looked down a microscope, you'd be able to see lots of tiny animals, whether they're larvae of fish or invertebrates or animals that just never grow bigger than that less than a millimeter. The whale shark and the baskin shark both feed on these microscopic animals. But they're animals, right? So the, the basking shark and the whale shark are not vegetarian. They still eat this meaty soup that they're either filtering through their gills, like the, the basking shark, or sucking into their mouth, like the whale shark. That actually makes them highly efficient hunters. Their catch rate is really high because they'll only feed when they know that this plankton is in the water. So. That's one of the amazing spectacles that we see off the coast of Ireland in April, May, is these groups of basking sharks that um, congregate on our coast and swim around with their mouths wide open. So that's for the planktivores. And there's one other planktivore called the megamouth shark. And if anyone wants to Google it, it's this weird looking shark who spends most of its life in the deep sea, um, but will come up to the surface at night, for example, off the coast of Taiwan. But obviously we have the big hunting sharks like the great white sharks. They will hunt seals, they'll hunt big fish, there's the sharks who feed on snails, for example, or urchins, you know, really strong jaws. And they will crunch through those hard shells to get to the flesh inside. There's sharks who feed on small fish like mackerel or sardines. Some of them are ambush predators. They'll lie in wait until a fish passes by and they'll jump out at it and catch it that way. Some will stalk their prey like the hammerhead shark. So there's not one stereotypical shark. You know, we have over 500 species of sharks and over 1,200 species of sharks and rays put together. It's like humans, we're all different. So sharks are the same, they're all different and they all have different feeding strategies. There is one omnivorous shark out there. So most sharks are carnivorous. They eat uh, flesh. But we, we know of at least one species of shark that will feed on seagrass. Um, and that's the bonnet head shark. It will scoop up the seagrass. And there was a big debate at first of whether they just accidentally ate it when they caught their other prey. But we realized that it's actually part of their diet. They actually assimilate it. They digest it and assimilate it into their flesh, which is really cool. There's an omnivorous shark out there. There's a salad eating shark, a little green salad. Yeah. 
There you go, Colette. If you're going to be re- reincarnated as a shark, that'd be right up your alley. <laughs> Fair play. And you can tell a lot about sharks' diet from looking at their teeth. Um, so, and, and teeth are often the only thing that remains in the fossil record because that cartilaginous skeleton that I was telling you about doesn't preserve well. It doesn't fossilize well. So we often only find the teeth of sharks. And that means you have to infer what a shark looked like in prehistoric times from just one tooth, which can be a real challenge. And so you, what you do then is you look to its modern day uh, cousins and which ones have the most similar teeth to that. And you can start sort of start thinking about what it might have looked like and what it might have eaten. So from looking at those teeth, you can really infer what a shark eats. So the the great white shark and the mako shark, they have really pointy teeth, serrated teeth that helps them cut through the flesh of big fish or uh, whales or, or seals. But some sharks, instead of pointy teeth, have plates. So I was telling you about these sharks that eat hard shelled animals like lobsters or snails. Instead of pointy teeth that are just going to break as soon as they touch those shells, they have plates that will crunch through them to be able to suck out that flesh. That's amazing. It really does show you how varied they are as, as a group of animals. They are incredibly varied and it's mind-blowing to think because it is such a uh, stereotypical view of one type of shark. All sharks are like this, but yeah, from grass eaters to, to snail crunchers, that's amazing. Sharks aren't doing too well. We're just finishing up and we have to be honest about this, but they're not doing too well at the moment. Yeah, uh, they're not. A lot of shark populations are declining rapidly. We're fishing them out of the oceans, eating them, accidentally catching them when we're targeting other species and all the other pressures we put onto our oceans like pollution, like climate change, um, rising sea temperatures, all of these things mean that sharks, like many other um, marine species and animal species around the world, are in deep trouble. Um, So we're doing a lot of damage to our oceans in a wide variety of ways. And so some populations of sharks have declined by 90% in the last 10 years, you know. Crikey. Wow. I know it's it's one of those questions that you kind of, it's hard to answer, but what could a person who's listening to this podcast do to help out sharks in, in their own way? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a really complex issue. And obviously there's not one solution. There's not one thing, you know, it's about all the small changes and the big changes that we can do and encourage. If you eat fish, then I would highly recommend informing yourself about where the fish was caught and how it was caught. So bycatch, which is when you catch species that aren't your target species, is a big issue. And sharks are often one of the uh, species that get caught as bycatch. And they're almost wanted bycatch in some cases where they're, they're still worth a lot of money for some fishermen. And so they will keep that shark and, and sell it on. 
But what you can do in that case is try and avoid things like fish that are caught through trawling or long lining. Those are two of the most damaging ways that um, fish are caught. So try and inform yourself about how your fish is caught and where it was caught. And you can do that. There are plenty of guides out there and websites that you can use. The Good Fish Guide is the Marine Conservation Society's guide to, to fishing. They're not perfect systems, but at least you're starting to learn about these things. And it's really important as consumers that we do that. The other ways you can help are like through reducing your plastic use. So try not to use single use plastic anymore. But again, that's putting so much responsibility onto individuals and consumers when really the issue comes from something much bigger and it's the systems that we live in. And so one of the biggest things you can do is actually, if you're an adult and you can do so, vote for people who are going to think about these issues. So your voice and the way you vote really matters for, the, for these animals. So talk to your representatives and see what they can do and how informed they are about these issues. And participate in citizen science. That's the other thing is that I told you about the egg case hunt. That's something you can do with your kids. And kids love like exploring and going to find these little treasures on the beach. So go out there, find these eggshells and report them to Marine Dimensions in Ireland or um, whatever other organization collects this data in your country. And that makes you a scientist and it's, uh, it's invaluable to us researchers. Awesome. That is brilliant. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for, for having a chat with us about these wonderful creatures. My pleasure. Uh, listen, I could talk about sharks for hours. There's probably <laughs> lots more that after this, I'll think, oh, I wish I told them this. Um, sharks are amazing animals and they really deserve our love and our respect. And if you ever find yourself in the water with one, you'll really realize how special they are. Well, well, hopefully we all start to follow that lead and, and give them the respect that they're due. I hope people cop on to them because they are incredible uh, animals and you're a fantastic ambassador for them. Like, it's always great chatting to you, Jenny, and it's great to be able to, to share your passion with uh, with our, our listeners. Do you know what I'm going to do after this? What are you going to do? I'm going to go into my living room and I'm going to light a candle to the god of sharks, <laughs> who is... The Greek god of sharks is known as Palaemon, and I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Apparently used to ride on the back of a dolphin, which I don't recommend. As you know, Kali, we have an array of gods and goddesses on our mantelpiece. We have the god of the meerkats. We have, oh, we have uh, Christian gods and animal gods. So I think we are going to install a new god on our mantelpiece today and light a candle in praise of sharks. And hopefully I will spend the summer working with my blue sharks and I can share lots of um, lots of photos and, and information about them as the summer comes on and I go out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Light that candle so she gets out. <laughs> we'll put a link into your Twitter on the bottom of the show. Um, I'd like to thank our Patreons as always you are legends for keeping us going it means a lot to us because we do this as a as an act of love to uh, to use and to to these wonderful creatures that we like to talk about so yeah thanks a million it's keeping us going and it's uh, it's, it's paying the bills so you guys are all brilliant The Critter Shed is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts, as is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. 
You can find more great shows at thewarren.ie. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.